Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning into the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and insider info you need to find a career path you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you can identify your unique calling and then actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then you could go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. Today we're going to be learning all about social work with my dear friend Katie Tudor. Katie is a family specialist working at Pathways Youth and Family Services here in Austin, Texas, which is a nonprofit social service organization helping families with foster care, adoption, and behavioral health. In this episode, Katie goes deep into what it's really like to work in a support role in foster care for a child placement agency, as well as how social work positions can extend anywhere from business to ministry to schools to hospitals to political activism and more. And she also shares how if you decide to go into this field, how you could protect yourself from compassion fatigue and burnout, as well as what education levels are truly required to get into social work and how you might be able to get a start if you don't want to go back to school to get another bachelor's degree in social work if you already went through your undergrad and don't necessarily want to go back. She also goes into a ton of common misconceptions about her field like do you really make money and other abrasive questions like that. (laughs) There is all this and more to look forward to in this episode so let's dive right into my conversation with Katie Tudor. Well, my friend, Katie, I'm so excited to have you here to uncover what it's really like to work in social work, working in that social work, lots of work in that sentence. Well, I'm excited to get right into it. So welcome. And also, first question, what do you do? Where do you live? Like, what's your position? All that stuff. Yes. Great question, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here, but I live in Austin, Texas, and I I'm a social worker and I work for an agency called Pathways as a family specialist, which is really a glorified case manager. So that is, has been my job for two years now. What is even a case manager? I'm just, I'm going to ask questions as if I am totally ignorant about this. Read, I am ignorant about this profession <laughs> and yeah. Okay, go on. What is a no, case good manager? Question. Sometimes I feel like I just assume and I shouldn't. Um, I'm going to try really hard not to use the words case and management in my definition. But case manager, you really just have um, a caseload. Um, <laughs> in, my, in my situation, it's families. So I have set families who I check in with, who I manage in a way. And they're really, fall, they fall under my kind of job um, of if they need something, they go directly to me. If there's a problem, they go directly to me. So it really is, 
I said I wasn't going to use the words case management in the definition, but I totally did. <laughs> but really, it is just um, having a certain families who just kind of depend on you for um, advice, advocating for them, and if they just ever need anything, they kind of go to you. Oh, okay. Well, don't mind me as I'm on the follow-up question train, but what are the range of things that they come to you for? Like, what are you advocating for? What advice do they need and how are you helping? Yeah, so, um, and for those of you who don't know, Pathways is a child placing agency. So it's in the realm of foster care. So I have families who are foster parents and they come to me just with questions about the kiddos in their home, um, questions about paperwork. There's so much paperwork, um, just documentation for the child. Um, they're just, they sign papers. So they are the legal guardians um, with the department. So really, um, I get all sorts of questions. Some are funny, some are more crisis-like, um, but really it's kind of just walking the families through um, this journey that they're going on and um, whatever comes up for the support for them. If you don't mind sharing more specifically, like what are some of the questions ranging from, like you said, more lighthearted, funny to more serious, like what does that look like to answer them as well? Yeah, so I do go out monthly to see all of my families. Um, so we do have visits, but um, questions wise, um, it can be about visits. So kiddos have to have visits with their bio family. They can just be asking, um, I, I'm kind of like a liaison with Child Protective Services. Um, so they, CPS sets up visits with BioFam. But if foster parents just have questions, they kind of just turn to us for support of kind of asking questions about the visits or um, really it ranges. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like there's like no that saying there's no dumb question like we get everything under the sun of um like our child's acting out in this way like what's your advice um and as like i'm a 25 year old i <laughs> do not have children i have a puppy um but we do go through the trainings ourselves of like trauma-informed care evidence-based interventions and i'm not trying to just throw all these words mm -hmm. out but we do go through a lot of training that is focused on foster care and foster kiddos because they are um, I don't want to say they're not normal because that's a terrible way to phrase it, mm -hmm. but they have experienced a lot of trauma that um, kids who have two parents and are with them still don't often experience. Um, so to answer your question, it's really kind of just day to day. Um, they, I think like more crisis questions are like, um, my kiddo got injured, we have to go um, to the emergency room right now. Um, can you meet us there? and um, then just questions with that um and it's cool too like there's just such a wide array of foster parents um pathways licensed single couples or single couples single <laughs> people um same-sex couples um traditional couples and it's been really cool to just see like everyone has a different experience with um children and with like their own um childhood so it's awesome to be a part of their foster care journey um but really they just we're kind of just the support of like if they're freaking out i often just walk them off the ledge of mm -hmm. a mental breakdown um 
and I'm not, I think it's hard too, but like confidentiality is super important. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I do have different examples, but I want to like have that confidentiality for my families. I'm not just saying what they ask me all the time. It's really just support, like in my job description, it says support 24 seven for foster families. And it's a lot of support. <laughs> that is a lot of support. And also, I'm so sorry I'm being a total troll because I figured that you have confidentiality to honor, but I was like, I don't know, maybe you could just give some vivid examples. Let's see how vivid. <laughs> so totally respect that, though. Um, so in terms of education, I've heard mm -hmm. that you have to get quite a bit of it, and I know you have quite a bit of it. Yeah. So tell me, what did you get your degrees in, and where did you go? When did you graduate? Yeah, so I received my bachelor's in social work at Abilene Christian University, and I graduated in 2017. And I knew I was on, like, just wanted to use that momentum to stay in school. I knew if I left, I would not want to go back. So I decided to get my master's, and ACU actually offered this advanced standing program where if you have your bachelor's in social work, you can get your master's in one year. So I really wanted to take advantage of that. Um, the part that's a little funny is ACU was one of the few schools that required you to write a thesis in their advanced mm. standing program. So I did have to write a thesis. Um, I do not regret that at all, but it was very strenuous and it was a lot of work. Um, but now I'm published, so that's super awesome. But after getting my master's, um, I kind of thought about getting my clinical license, but I think it was just more on my heart to get more experience before I go back to school. So right now I just have my bachelor's and my master's and then I got my license so I can um, be an LMSW. LMSW, <laughs> Google that later. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so did you just go straight into the role that you're in now or did you have any other post-grad jobs or internships throughout college? So I, really wanted to work in foster care a lot of people in my grad school year just they had families where they fostered and adopted or they had families who just did straight adopt which is they didn't even foster they just adopted a kiddo and there's like all the experience that i had with friends who had like their foot in foster care i just really felt called to go that route so towards the end of my um last year in grad school, I decided to just apply for um, positions in a foster care agency. I really did not know anything about foster care other than just my friends' experiences. So I didn't even know what a child placing agency was, um, or and I feel like a lot of people don't if they're not in child welfare, like the foster care world. Um, but I decided to apply for just different positions I saw available in Austin. So I applied for two jobs, and when I was going through the interview process with Pathways, which is where I am now, I just loved all the questions they were asking, and just they seemed to really have a good, like, just idea of what they wanted to be as an agency, and I really wanted to be a part of that. So it was a pretty easy decision for me to decide to go with Pathways, and I have so I, after I graduated with my master's, I came straight to Austin. I think I had like a few weeks in between, and then I just started working for Pathways. I see how you started to realize why you wanted to go into foster care, but even before that, how did you realize that you wanted to go into social work in general? Great question. 
I actually started my college experience as a nutrition major. I have always just loved the impact that food has on your body and I wanted to learn more about that. So I went in as a nutrition major. About after a year and a half, I was not excited at all for my course load of like organic chemistry and biochem, anatomy, and realized that I'm just not science minded. I did not want a profession in nutrition. That was a cruel reality I had to face. Um, and I knew I wanted to be in some type of helping profession. My mom and my sister are teachers. And while I love teachers and I applaud them for all the hard work they do, I just didn't have that passion for education um, or to be in the education field. So I was really just doing a lot of exploring on my own. Uh, my university has had a lot of different opportunities to learn more about different fields. So I actually heard a social professor um, just give a talk one day um, and I just instantly fell in love with like the profession of social work and how he was describing it. And I was like, this sounds like too good to be true. Um, so I met with him later that week um, in his office and just asked him lots of questions about like, what is social work? What, like, what would I be doing? And I just love, like social work is so broad. You really can do so much with it. I'm just in one tiny segment of social work, but they're just like an endless amount of jobs that social workers can have. So I think I was just really encouraged to hear like how broad it was, especially for like, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. So I wanted to kind of explore all the different options. So once I heard about social work, I was like, I am definitely switching from nutrition to social work, no questions asked. And I stuck with it ever since. And I'm very, very grateful for that switch. This is insanely ironic because just today I interviewed Elena Woolsey, who will be a guest published right alongside this episode. She is a nutritionist. She's like, I love this profession. You're like, swerve, see ya. Swerve. <laughs> uh, it makes it takes all kinds of people to make the world go around and it does. I applaud her though. We need more of them. As I applaud you. So I know that you said that the options are just near limitless for what you could do with social work, but are there some main pathways or kind of variations of social work that someone can explore? Yeah. Child welfare is one, and that entails like CPS, Child Protective Services, um, child placing agencies. And just a little background on child placement agencies. We were created to help alleviate a lot of the stress from CPS. CPS mm. is expected to do a lot. And yeah. it's kind of insane the amount that they are required to do. Um, so CPAs were created to help alleviate some of that work. Um, but just there's different roles with children. So that's kind of like one section, I would say, mm. um, or in one field. Another would be um, in schools. Um, there's different nonprofits or just different social workers in schools. Um, I worked for communities and schools for a little bit, and that was an awesome experience of really helping middle schoolers navigate different things that counselors or teachers really don't. And that was more so um, kind of just helping with like basic needs and goal setting and just more kind of just resources for the children to succeed in school. I feel like schools is its own section of social workers. Um, hospitals, 
I don't want to talk all about my internship experience, but I also interned at a hospital. Um, and that was super awesome to see how vital social workers are in the medical field. Um, and going along with that, there's hospice social workers, um, home health. So just definitely the medical field is a huge population of social workers. Um, nonprofits, a lot of social workers run nonprofits or, or CEOs, program directors, um, and are just very intertwined with the nonprofit world. Um, businesses, um, I, I don't know tons about social workers and businesses, but I've definitely heard that's its own little subgroup of social workers who go the business route. Um, and I think one of my friends actually got her MBA and her social work degree. So she's wanting to kind of just explore that field more. Um, and it's cool because social work is really endless. Like I have um, friends who are like, I have one friend who's an associate pastor um, for a church and she's able to use her social work degree in that role. So I feel like not all roles um, have social work from the title, but they do a lot of <clears throat> social work tasks and social work job descriptions. Um, but I know I'm forgetting tons. I think one of my favorite things that social workers can do is in like political arena, 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 <laughs> um, and just like really at, like advocate and um, meet people where they are. And that's like a term thrown so much at social workers, but I think it's important to just really um, know people and like get to know cities and um, just areas so you can fight for them at the more macro level. Um, so I think the politics route is also a way that social workers can go to like to be activists or um, really just, there's a whole list of different um, roles for politics as well. But that's just a few. I think that's why I love social. It is so broad and really, I feel like everyone can find something or like some niche that they would really be passionate about. In social mm, yeah, it sounds like it for sure. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere in the range of mildly curious to hikey desperate to get out of analysis paralysis and into a job that will be an exciting and rewarding fit for you and your unique talents, values, and interests. Which, by the way, I'm here to help you do just that in record time. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp, a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it so you could have an impactful and meaningful career. Trust me, I get it. Picking a singular career path out of the sea of options, then making a potential industry pivot to get into that line of work can be insanely daunting. That's why I created the Deep Dive Career Coaching Program to walk you through nailing down each step from discerning your calling to finding the exact job title that aligns with it, then getting hired for that position with confidence and speed with me by your side as your personal career concierge from start to finish. This two-month one-on-one career coaching program includes individual career coaching sessions with me, the library of guides and workbooks I've created for you to propel you further and faster to your goal between sessions, as well as unlimited support from me in between sessions to help you nail all the practicals like your networking messaging and strategy, your resume, your interviews and negotiations, which will save you a load of time, stress and dead end job applications. 
If all of that sounds like a dream to you, then I want to formally invite you to apply for my deep dive private career coaching program. Go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through your unique challenges and achieve your highest goals so you could fulfill the vision and hopes that God has put on your heart for your career. I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and you're ready to accelerate your path to building an impactful and meaningful career aligned with who God made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com forward slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to get started. Okay, now back to the episode. What are some of the common misconceptions that you see people have about social work? Oh, I can go off on this question. Oh, so one would be, and I don't want to hate on anybody. I know these are just misconceptions, but I really do hear a lot of people who just assume all social workers are CPS. And that is definitely not the case. Kind of like, as I just said, there are so many different jobs and roles that social workers have. So they all do not work for CPS. Um, I, I even remember when I switched um, my major to social work, a lot of people were not happy about that. And I think that could be because social workers meet people in many different areas of their life, whether that be um, in schools and hospitals, um, sometimes like in hospice settings, like they are the last ones with people um, like on like their deathbed in a way. Um, so I think sometimes social workers give people a bad taste in their mouth because they're in those really hard seasons and those hard situations that sometimes people don't want a social worker to pop up and help them. So it was hard um, just to hear that people weren't like, not all people, but some people weren't happy for me when I switched to social work. But I'm really glad the more research I did, I knew that this is where I wanted to be and my passion um, for people in social justice. So I think a misconception would be that social workers um, do more harm than good maybe, um, which is not the case. Um, I, another misconception, I'm gonna limit it. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> another misconception would be we don't get paid. We do get paid. Um, I think it really is just doing your research and seeing um, where if you, money is just something that you are very focused on, or obviously we all need money, but um, there are different social work positions that are known for being higher paying. Um, so it's really just doing your research, but social workers definitely get paid. Um, it does help to have more degrees. So I know like people who have their clinical license and their doctorate often get paid more, but as they should, because they went through a lot of schooling. Um, but yeah, I think those are just a few misconceptions I can think of, but I could go on and on and on. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm sorry that people were like crapping on your decision to go into social work in school. I I know that your role is so important and I'm very, very glad that you have a calling for it. What is your typical day in the life like? Oh, um, I'm not going to give you a cliche answer of there's no typical day. <laughs> um, so 
it's really nice in my position. I have some flexibility to make my own day. Um, there are emergency situations where I do have to be flexible and sometimes drop whatever plan I had. Um, but typically, um, I think like one day I could try to fit in a few monthly um, visits. So I um, drive around to different homes. I have homes everywhere in the Austin area. So um, I have some in Wimberley, some in Dripping Springs, some in Round Rock. So it's really just driving to my homes and meeting with them. Um, we have like a monthly home chart. So we kind of just check off like how they're doing. Have there been any problems this past month? How is school going? How is how is the kiddo sleeping, eating, just adjusting to the um, foster home. So I, one day I can like just be going to a lot of homes for monthly visits. Um, another day I could just dedicate it to paperwork. We have a lot of paperwork in child welfare. So sometimes I just kind of work on my monthly case notes, documentation from my visits. Um, we have service plans that are individualized for each child. So I definitely, those take a lot of time. Um, so sometimes I dedicate days just to paperwork. Um, other days I um, am needed to be at court. So um, each kiddo in foster care has different court hearings. So we like to be there as their agency to support them, support the family, support the child. And that also can take some time of just driving to court. And sometimes we're like last on the docket. So we wait a long time. Um, so really, each day is different. I feel like it's never that clean usually though of like, oh, this day I'll do all my visits, this day I'll do all my paperwork. It's usually just mixed throughout of like paperwork, visits, court, all the things. Um, and then if emergencies happen, um, we try to meet our families at the emergency room or just provide um, support over the phone. Um, we are definitely on our phones a lot. Um, foster parents call all the time and as they should because we are the support but that can also dictate a day. If like I spend a few hours on the phone with different foster parents, then I'll have to kind of rearrange some things. That is so admirable as an agency that it's 24 seven support. I don't know how you personally handle that though, because it, it doesn't sound like you have a day team and a night team. So the workers no, themselves no. can have a normal life. It just sounds like the workers are signed up for a 24 seven work style. Well, and I haven't even mentioned like we have emergency placements. So kids often come into care like at night. So if my phone rings at like two in the morning and um, there's a kiddo who can be placed in one of my homes, then I need to meet them there. Um, I need to meet at my foster parents' house. Um, the CPS, the investigator will be there and we have placement sometimes like at 2 or 3 a.m. or it can happen at all different times. I feel like it tends to happen at night, uh, but definitely we are day and night shift type of people. Wow. Oh my goodness. So how have you manage that not just the demanding nature of um, the time commitment and variability and needing to be on call but also emotionally is that something that you're kind of prepared for in your schooling because I'm sure that's such a big part of social work how do you not get burnt out mm -hmm. great question and like I love my school experience and it was extremely helpful and just teaching me all that I know today and how prepared I did feel going into it. But I think nothing prepares you like experience. So once um, I was in my first year of the job, I was experiencing a lot of emotions and I felt kind of crazy just because I'm like, why am I 
just feeling really sad some days and other days kind of mad and other days happy. And I think naming my feelings really helped. Um, I definitely experienced secondhand trauma my first year of just really feeling for these families going through really hard things. Um, I also felt compassion fatigue of if I'm like 100% on all the time, like I never want to burn out, but that's what it can lead to. So naming what I was feeling really helped me reel in that I am not crazy. <laughs> like these are common things to feel in this position. Um, so I think emotionally what really helped was naming them and also just finding people to talk to um, who I know like genuinely care about me and my profession. Obviously, like I still use confidentiality in those situations as well, but just really talking and kind of saying how I feel was very helpful. Um, and just journaling also really helped of getting my feelings out and just being able to kind of release them of, okay, like I don't have to hold on to all of these traumas and all these terrible situations. Yes, I can show up for my families, but I, it's not my job to fix everything. It's not my job to hold on to all of the crazy things that have happened. But if, and if I feel like if I were to do that, I wouldn't be truly helping the family. Um, mm -hmm. So really have to reel in my emotions, how I'm feeling and how I can actively be supporting the family, but also supporting myself. Yes, I can only imagine how important that is. It seems like this is a natural transition into what do you enjoy the most about your job? And then what is tough? It sounds like we're already getting a picture for what's <laughs> tough about it, but what are those highs and lows? Yeah. A high would definitely be the relationships I have with foster parents and with the children. It has been so wonderful getting to know them. Um, the past two years, I have been employed with Pathways. Different times, kiddos will leave and be reunified with bio family or with a relative, but we do stay with our family. So the family is licensed through my agency. So even if a child does leave to go to family, we still are with the families and they often choose to foster again or choose to go a route to adopt. So I've loved getting to know the families, getting to be part of adoptions. Um, we try to paint foster care in a way of foster parents are able to adopt, but the state of Texas and many other states, I'm sure, really focus on family reunification of we want to keep the child with family if that's a viable option or with a relative just because that's so important for the child. I have been a part of adoptions though with foster parents and those are always really exciting as well. If the kiddo doesn't have any relatives or family who are able to adopt, then foster parents do come in and just being at court when the family's in tears because the day they've been waiting for has finally arrived and they can adopt and the kiddo can change their last name to the family's name. It's definitely an exciting time that can be bittersweet um, but that's one of my favorite parts is just really getting to know the foster families and the children and getting to build relationships with them. A low would be kind of just navigating being on call 24-7. Um, I definitely see the need for that just because we don't ask or we don't get a control or dictate when, when emergencies happen. 
but that can be kind of straining when like I have plans with a friend to catch up and grab coffee and then my phone goes off and I'm like, I have to take this and I have to go. Um, so really boundaries are important and there are ways to have boundaries in this job, but that can be a low at times of man, like I really wanted to do this today, but my job has taken me this way. So that can be a low. Um, I tend to be a very optimistic person and I try to always paint silver linings on things. So I think part of it is just like understanding like why I am on call all the time and why it's necessary. Um, but also just constantly checking in with myself of how am I feeling? I don't want to be burned out, obviously. I want to give my best to these families. So it's just constantly checking in with myself during those lows of having really long days and long nights. But um, that's kind of just part of the job. Yeah, goodness. <laughs> that takes a tremendous amount of just dedication and perspective on your part to be so committed to staying the course and being available at all those times. What type of person do you think would be a good fit for social work? And I kind of think of this in terms of what do they have to like and what do they have to be okay with <laughs> and good at too. Yeah. Um, I think they have to be okay with not being able to fix everything. Um, I definitely do have friends who are very empathetic, but sometimes to the point where like they know themselves and they know they couldn't do this job and that is totally okay. Um, so it's really good for people to know themselves and know their own like emotional boundaries. Um, I think for people interested in social work, if you're very interested in politics, I think social work would be great just because it's so important to know like what laws and policies are being passed that directly affect populations we work with. Um, so for people who kind of go towards those NPR <laughs> broadcasting, mm -hmm. um, just really love to stay informed, I think they should explore social work for sure, as well as just people who kind of have that desire to help but don't know how. I think mm -hmm. I was in that category of I am very passionate about helping people and making a difference, but also just I have seen a lot of people go through things harder than I have experienced. So I always have been drawn to wanting to help those people because I can't necessarily relate, but I can help. Um, so definitely people who want to help but maybe aren't sure how, I think exploring social work would be really beneficial. Yeah, and let's say someone, well, I'm wondering what the education qualifications like at a minimum are. And like is a undergrad and a master's in social work required or if someone is kind of past college age they, and they would like to minimize the amount of school that they would have to get before pivoting into this profession, what do you think is also the minimum path? Yeah, I think a bachelor's in social work definitely helps you get your foot in the door of just trying out different jobs and getting that experience. Um, and if people are wanting to get their master's, their clinical license, or their PhD, that's definitely encouraged as well. But I think the minimum would be a bachelor in social work or maybe even psychology. Um, 
I don't necessarily want to say minimum though. I do know some people who don't have their bachelor's in social work or psychology and they still got their foot in the door. So I think networking is really important mm -hmm. and just finding people. I, I've recently started um, working on my LinkedIn more and that has just been so helpful of finding people who I love what they do and getting to talk to them and see like, how do you do what you do? What all, how did you get there? So I think, I don't even want to say a bachelor's degree is the minimum because if you really are networking and just seeing how you can get your foot in the door without going to college, maybe, I think it's definitely possible. And then when you get that experience, that will just help you work your way up or find what your passion is through social work. Yeah, that's so awesome. I always love hearing about alternative pathways because I think oftentimes the listener of this podcast isn't just uh, someone in their undergrad with time to pivot. It's someone who's maybe looking to make a mid-career pivot or maybe they had their quarter-life crisis and they're like, all right, what, what else? <laughs> what else? And they might not want to go back and invest in all this education if it's not necessary. And so I always love hearing about creative ways that people can still, like you said, get their foot in the door and just make a start in the profession that they feel feel called to, um, whether or not they could work out going back and getting another degree. Mm -hmm. So that's so awesome. Here's what I'm excited to ask you. Uh, what is your vision for where you're hoping to be in the next 15 to 20 years in your career? What a fun question. Um, not trying to just repeat myself, but I love that it's so broad and that the unknown can be scary, but can also be exciting. And there's just so many different options in social work. Right now, though, if I had to think of where I'd want to be in 15 to 20 years, I would say the counseling roles have really been interesting or just been very interesting to me in the past few months of just seeing um, just the benefits of people going to counseling and going to therapy. And really, um, I've always had an interest in that. I, again, like I love helping people, but I also just love sitting down and hearing where people are and seeing how I can help them with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, and in my dream world, I would be in a counselor or therapist role. Um, I'm still kind of figuring out like what subgroup I would want to work with and kind of how I'd even want to be a therapist or counselor. Like would I want to go um, get my clinical license or would I want to look for just positions for LMSQs? And I think the possibilities are endless, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, I think just being a counselor has always been something in the back of my mind of like I would love to do that someday so check in check in with me in 15 years will do and I trust that that will become a reality if it is meant to be so either way I know for sure Katie you are going to be helping people very powerfully whatever your job title is thank you so much for sharing about your profession and social work I've really loved learning about it and so appreciate you sharing Oh, well, thank you for having me. I loved uh, being able to talk about it and you asked really great questions. <gasps> Thanks, Katie. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like 
as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the Job Library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.